Hello and welcome to Stony Creek Radio, the sermon podcast from Stony Creek Baptist Church in London, Ontario. We're so glad you've tuned in today. Our prayer as you listen is that you'll be encouraged and built up in your walk with Jesus as we study God's Word together. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's jump right in. You can open your Bibles to Luke, not to Luke, I'm sorry. It's Christmas, I just automatically say Luke. To Matthew chapter 2, we're going to continue our series called Christmas Surprises, looking at Matthew's account of the Christmas story. It's been pretty exciting around our house, they've been pretty excited to celebrate Christmas. There's a lot of different ways that we have tried to do over the years to kind of make it about Jesus. So we've used this very wreath in our home. In fact, this is my wreath that we're using here. But my kids, they play with fire too much and just want to blow them out. Shared that last week, so we stopped doing that. Uh, We've done a number of other things as well. This year, we just decided to go with the chocolate advent calendars. The problem with that is my son Trey was not very happy come December 1st that he couldn't eat all 24 of them. In fact, he went into a complete fit of rage that he wasn't allowed to eat more. And so sometimes now these days we open them up and we find there's no chocolate in it because he had already eaten that day as well. But it's it's, it's an important thing for us as families, as couples, as individuals to... Uh, seek to make our celebrations around that which will honor Jesus. There's so much in this world that we can get caught up in. Uh, a lot of stuff, it's not bad stuff, but we can miss the purpose and the point of it all by getting caught up with all the trappings of Christmas. So my prayer is, is that we're going to make this about Jesus. And that's the whole point of this series as we work through Matthew, to make this all about Jesus. And to be reminded again of just, just how incredible it was what God did for us on that first Christmas. A few years ago, I took my kids to see the movie in the theater. We never go to the theater. There's hardly anything worth watching there. But we went and saw the movie The Star several years ago. If you're looking for a good family-friendly movie to watch during the Christmas season with your younger kids, The Star is a great one. It's an animated movie. It's a story about a donkey and it's, uh, if you're looking for like an, an accurate account of what happened on that first Christmas, the star is not really a good one to go to. But it's a story about a donkey who has aspirations of being uh, a part of a great royal caravan. And he ends up kind of unknowingly, he's kind of a clumsy donkey, and so he's never able to be a, like those really special donkeys that get to carry the kings But he ends up, through everything that happens, unknowingly carrying on his back Mary, who's carrying the king above all kings. And so it's this kind of great story in the midst of all of that, this reminder for us that in many ways, Jesus came unlike any other king. You would expect Jesus to come riding on this powerful donkey, this or not donkey, horse, war horse. This is what the Jewish people were expecting. They were expecting something very different than what ends up happening. And so that movie is it's kind of silly and fun as it is. It has that great truth in it that the way that Jesus came was unlike what many people, in fact, almost everyone expected. What's remarkable in the story of the scriptures as we see the Christmas story unfold is the people who actually do get it. 
The people that you would expect would get it and would understand who Jesus is are the ones who don't. And the ones that you would least expect would understand all that's happening at the story of Christmas and the coming of Jesus. They're the ones who get it. And, and there's a bit of a scandal in the midst as what, as what we're going to read today and what Matthew shares with us as to the people that understand who Jesus is that have come to worship him. And you know it already, it's on the screen behind me, but we're going to be talking about the Magi. We're going to be talking about the wise men today. And they are to an original audience that would have been reading this. I mean, we've heard this. Many people here have heard this many times. So you hear the story of the Magi and it just kind of washes over you. But for an audience that's reading this for the first time, that's steeped in Judaism, Jewish thought, this would have been one of those moments where they would have stepped back and said, wait a second, what? Are you serious, Matthew? That's what happened? It's one of those moments that would have stepped back where they would have said, huh? So that's what we're going to be looking at here with the story of the Magi. Now, it's important with the story of Magi. I want you to keep in mind Isaiah chapter 60 because... Matthew has that in mind, and I meant to put that on the screen, and I didn't. So flip back with me, if you wouldn't mind. I've already got you to Matthew, and we haven't even read it yet. So, but I do I want to ask you to go back to, Ma, uh, to Isaiah chapter 60, just for a moment. And I want to read some of Isaiah 60. I want this to be in the back of your head as we read through Matthew together, because Matthew has this in the back of his head. If you know the uh, Handel's Messiah, you're very familiar with Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60 is this vision that Isaiah has of uh, this, this kind of glorious thing that's going to happen to the land we're going to see. And so this is what he says. Arise, verse, verse 1 of chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people's. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. If you look down just quickly to verses 10 and 11, you'll see foreigners shall build up your walls. He talks about walls. Verse 11 talks about gates. And so you can see with Isaiah, he's looking forward to the, the hopes in, of Israel being fulfilled in the city. And I want you to keep that in mind now as we're going to read Matthew. You've already seen references to what that story is going to be. But now if you turn back to Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read together and work through what Matthew writes. And what we're going to see in Matthew is a fulfillment of this promise in Isaiah chapter 60. But it's a surprise it's unlike how they were expecting this to come down. So here we go, verse 1 of chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east. And that's the, uh-huh, what? Moment. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he 
who has been born king of the Jews, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, interesting, the next time that phrase is used, the Magi come into Jerusalem, they say, where is he that's been born king of the Jews? Title given to Jesus. Do you know the next time that title is going to be used? The cross with the note above saying, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Matthew is setting us up for what is going to happen later. It's important that we remember that as we read the Christmas narratives, as we read any narrative in the scripture, um, what we're reading is selected portions of history. That so much more happened, John says, that we couldn't even fill all the books in the world if we told everything. And so we have to ask ourselves, why is Luke and why is Matthew here telling us what he's telling us? Because he could have told us a whole lot of other stuff around this birth, I am sure. But he has chosen to talk about this particular moment. And we need to ask that question, why? And we're going to see that answer as we flesh this out. So these magi come into Jerusalem. They say, where is he that's been born king of the Jews? They expect that they're going to know. One of the scandals in all of this is who these wise men, who these magi are. These are people you would least expect being heralded the good news of the Messiah being born. Now, the first thing I want to mention is how many magi there were. How many were there? Three. Three. Yeah. Of course there's three, because that's how many are in your willow tree nativity. There's three there. Tradition has, in about the third century, tradition came out that there were three of them. They were from Persia. Caspar Melkor and Balthazar are their names. That came out in about the third century. And, and, and it's very possible that that's true. If that's true, then these magi are the same ones who we would have read about in Daniel who were enemies of God's people. So if that's the case, the story that's being told for us is the enemies of God's people being directed by God to the good news of the Messiah being born, which is shocking and it's very possible that that's the case. There's an earlier tradition that comes out around 150 AD, and in fact, it's mentioned here in Isaiah 60 that we just read. And it's a guy by the name of Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr was a, an early Jewish historian, a believer, and he wrote five times about the wise men, the magi who came from Arabia, Arab men. Five times he mentions them without feeling any need to try to argue his case that they were from Arabia. Uh, we also read the same thing with Tertullian with Clement of Rome, both who are also early church fathers who say that these men came from Arabia. And it makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. Uh, frankincense was a product, a unique product of southern Arabia. So they're bringing frankincense. It makes sense that they're from this area. The other thing that makes sense is what we just read in Isaiah chapter 60. We read about two particular places there where the nations would come to pay homage. And the two, nation, the two cities that are mentioned are in northern Arabia. So it's very likely that this is where they're actually from, that they're not actually Persian or Babylonian. The earliest history that we have says that they were Arabs. And in fact, there is a, a tribe in, in the Jordan area that are a tribe of Muslims today. Now remember, Islam came out 600 years after this. This tribe of Muslims today that call themselves, which is transliterated or translated as the planeteers. And they're a group of Muslim astrologers or Muslims who follow the stars. And they were asked one time, why 
Why do you call yourselves the Planeteers? And they say, because it was their ancestors who followed the star to the prophet Jesus. So that belief is that the, most, the, the earliest tradition is, is very likely that these were actually Arab wise men, Arab magi. Now, what difference does that make apart from kind of accuracy? The difference that makes is, in some ways, Matthew is telling us in an even more clear way that this is a fulfillment of what we read about in Isaiah 60. And Isaiah 60 talks about the nations coming from Arabia. And now we're seeing this happen with the Magi coming to Jesus. What is the scandal in the midst of all of this? Or what is the surprise, I could say, in the midst of all of this, which would be scandalous for some. For us, it should be a, a bit of a surprise. Isaiah 60, we talked about this, is Isaiah's vision for uh, a city, and in the city, the nations will come to the city. And so the hopes of all of God's people are kind of in the vision of Isaiah in this city. What Matthew does for us is show us that the hopes of God's people are not found in a city, are not realized in a city, but in a child. And so there's this shift from city to child that all of the hopes of Israel, all of the hopes of, of the prophets and what they looked forward to it's not rooted in or realized in a city, but in a child. Not in the promised city, but in a promised child. And so there's a surprise that Matthew is, is sharing for us here, that out of this, the hopes of all the years are found in this child. The hopes of everyone, Jew and Gentile, the hopes of everyone, male and female, young and old, every tribe, nation on earth, our hopes are found in this child that's coming. Matthew goes on. These guys come into Jerusalem. Their only mistake is they, uh, they think the people are actually going to understand or are actually going to know. They come into Jerusalem thinking this must be where the one born king of the Jews is. Now, how, I didn't even get to that answer. How many, the three of them, right? You said there were three of them. We don't know how many magi they were. There were at least two of them because it's in the plural. The tradition that says three, that was, that was the third century. The, the earliest tradition actually says there were 24 in their caravan. Were there 24? We don't know. The Bible doesn't actually say so. But we do know that this caravan coming into Jerusalem was big enough that it caught the attention of Herod. So it very likely was more than just three. And it wouldn't have been that safe to travel this kind of distance with just three of them. So likely there were more of them. So if you want kind of a more biblically accurate nativity, you're going to need more than three. Not biblically, historically or traditionally accurate. You're going to need 24 of them if you want to be most accurate. The problem with that is the willow tree those things are $150 for three of them. So you don't want 24 of them. <laughs> and on top of that, you shouldn't have magi around the nativity anyway. If you have magi a part of your nativity, you need to move them to the other side of the room <laughs> if you want it to be more accurate. If it's a good discussion starter for one, if they're attached to it, you're kind of out of luck on that. But they need to be on the other side of the room because they're on, in transit. They're on their way to come worship. They would have taken, very likely, up to two years. And the reason we know that is because Herod, trying to ascertain when the star appeared so he can know how old the child was, kills every baby two years and under. And we're going to look at that passage next week. So very likely, he was more than one, maybe even one and a half years old by the time the Magi even get to him. So they shouldn't be at the nativity. They should be on the other side of the room. 
when, and then they come in asking where the one born king of the Jews is. And that word born, so I, I just keep stalling, not stalling, wanting to mention more stuff. That idea, one born king of the Jews, would have been startling to Herod. Herod considered himself the king of the Jews. In fact, he gave him that, himself that title. But he had to fight for that. He had to kill a lot for that. And now there's one coming who's born king of the Jews. You can see why he's going to get so afraid here. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So two responses that we read, neither of which are all that surprising. Number one, Herod responds at the news of the king of the Jews being born with fear. Because now... The, his, so he's a threat to his throne. So he responds with fear. He's a paranoid man. Even if you didn't know anything about Herod, and we know enough about Herod, if you've sat in, in here and heard enough, you know Herod's a paranoid man. He was a crazy man, psychotic man, a, a psychopath kind of a man. He had family members killed. Even if you didn't know any of that about Herod, you would think that king automatically is going to be threatened by the news of another king being born. So he responds in fear. Then, then it says all Jerusalem responds with him and they are troubled. Why are they troubled? This is not that surprising either. They're troubled because they're, they're now scared of how Herod's going to respond to this news. They know what Herod's like. They know that Herod's going to completely overreact to this news and we're going to read about that happening next week in the next part of the story. And we're going to see that they were justified in feeling that way. So two responses, neither of which are surprises. Verse four, assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod automatically assembles the Jewish experts. And he asked them, where is Messiah supposed to be born? These magi have come, saying the king of the Jews has been born. Where is he supposed to be born? And the experts, because they know the law, or maybe they have to do some digging, we're not entirely sure, doesn't say they did any digging, it just says they flat out said, that we know Messiah is supposed to come in Bethlehem. The prophet Micah said so. It's not surprising that they know this information. What is surprising is what they do with this information. Bethlehem is about five miles away from Jerusalem. These Jewish experts of the law, of the scriptures, find out that these astrologers, these magi from the east are coming and said the king of the Jews has been born. The Messiah has been born, and they do nothing with that information. They sit on it. And it's a good reminder that Matthew is giving us here that knowledge is not enough. That knowledge of scriptures is a good thing, but it can be dangerous if it's not leading you to the whole points. It's not leading you to Jesus. This reminder that we can know the scriptures really well, but not know the one the scriptures point to. We're seeing that here in Matthew. 
Now, why did they respond this way? Why did they describe, why did they describe, why did they, why did they respond with such apathy here? And there's a number of reasons. One of the reasons may be they just didn't believe that it could be possible that God would speak through these magi. These magi would have been astrologers who follow the stars. The word magi is where we get the word magic from. And it's not the kind of magic of pulling a, a rabbit out of your hat. It's the kind of magic that's associated with divination and sorcery. In fact, Elimas that, we, Elimas that we read about in the book of Acts, he is called a magi, a sorcerer, a magician in that way. And so it's very possible that these Jewish experts said there's no way that God could be speaking through these magi because they are doing that which the Old Testament law forbids. And yet what is scandalous in the midst of all of this is that God meets these magi where they're at, directing them through the means, through the means in which they were familiar with, the stars. Absolutely mind-blowing. When we come to the story of the magi, we should be completely shocked to know that God used this means to draw these outsiders to Jesus to worship him. But they respond, regardless, they respond with apathy. They respond with complacency. It's a good reminder for us that just knowledge is simply not enough. Verse 7 goes on to say, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained. When is the next time you're going to read about a secret meeting with a group of like this? It's again at the cross. This already should trigger for us that there's something off in this meeting, that he, he wants to meet with them secretly. Secretly ascertain from them what time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. As paranoid as Herod was, as bad the motives of Herod was, what he says here is actually good advice. Good advice with bad motives. But look what he says. Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may worship him. That's good advice. Just bad motives. And we know that the gift that Herod wants to bring this child is not gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gift that Herod wants to bring this child is a dagger through his heart to eliminate him. But what he says here is that kind of a, a bit of a surprise that he would say that. But it's good advice for us. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I want you to put yourself in the shoes right now of a Jewish audience who is steeped in the Old Testament. A light rises and moves. You can see the star is moving here. It's not a, a stationary star. This light moves them, directs them to where Jesus is. What is that going to remind you of? A light in the sky that God uses to direct people to where he wants them to go. It's going to automatically... Come to your mind the pillar of fire that God uses 
to God's people in the promise, to lead them to the promised land, a pillar of fire by night that lights the way and goes before them to take them to the promised land. But now we're reading about a light that's leading outsiders into where Jesus is. People you would least expect it. And this light is leading them not to the promised land, but to the promised child. And so you see God using, as he used before with his people, he's now using it to these outsiders. And we're getting this hint even here as to who Messiah has come from, come for. That all who seek him, regardless of who you are, all who seek him will find him. He has come to save and to lead and to guide all who will seek him. Going to the house, verse 11, you can see the joy in verse 10 that they have. They saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy, lots of joy. Verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. Opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. It's interesting that they needed a dream to warn them of that. You think they would have known that already just in those discussions with Herod. But they need a dream. It reminds them, departed, went to another country. There's a couple of things I want to mention here that would have been surprises. Remember how old Jesus would have been around this time? I mean, minimum a few months old, up to two years old. I have six kids. I have one that's just over one, about one and a half years old. There's nothing about her that makes me want to worship her. (laughs) She's cute, but she can sure be annoying. What makes someone fall down and worship a young child like that? If not God opening your eyes to the truth of who this child is. There is nothing about a baby that makes you ever want to worship them unless God has opened your eyes as to who that child is. And they offer him three very strange gifts. Gifts that you wouldn't expect, that you've probably never seen. Many of you have been to baby showers before. When you do a group gift, Gwen, have you ever bought gold, frankincense, and myrrh for that family? (laughs) (laughs) They are fairly strange gifts. Now, it wouldn't have been all that uncommon in the sense that it wasn't uncommon for nations to send messengers and bring gifts from their own country to pay homage to a new king that was born. It's not uncommon for that to happen, but these are pretty strange gifts for a, a new family. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the thing about these gifts is they were very expensive gifts, particularly the gold. And in the providence of God, these magi bring these gifts to Mary and Joseph and Jesus just in time for the decree that's going to come out from Herod to wipe out every child under two years old. And so they're going to have to flee. Mary and Joseph are going to have to flee to Egypt with Jesus as refugees And God would use this gift from the Magi to supply for their needs as they fled. 
So in the providence of God, he has them bring these gifts. Now, the, these magi wouldn't have known the significance of these gifts that we now can see through the scriptures, but the gold being the gift for a king. Jesus is the king, but not just any ordinary king. He's the king above all kings. Gift of frankincense was the gift that was used of a, of a priest. Jesus came to be the great high priest who'd come, who has come to reconcile us to our father in heaven. And the gift of myrrh was the strangest gift of all. Myrrh was used for embalming. And so we see in this picture through these three gifts, a king who has come, who is going to die. And he's going to do it to reconcile us to the father as our great high priest. So that's the gospel in a nutshell through these three gifts that have been brought by these up to 24 magi. Beautiful, beautiful truth that Matthew is giving to us through these three particular gifts. There's so much more we could, we could say about a lot of this stuff. Let me just zero in on a couple of things as we close today. If you have notes, I wrote the surprises in your notes that you, hopefully you caught as I was kind of working through them. Kind of as we zero in on, on, on kind of the application of this passage, one of the things that really strikes me about this passage is the ones with the least amount of knowledge about the truth are the ones who respond the greatest. You think about the Magi, you think about the, the, even Herod, these ones who had kind of the least knowledge of the truth are the ones who responded, the ones with the most knowledge of truth are the ones who failed to respond to any of this particular news of, of the Messiah being born. And we see through this passage, I'm going to say three responses to the coming of the child. And these are three responses that I think all of us today have, or not all of us, but you could have these three different responses to the coming of of Jesus, to hearing the news of his birth. The first response is we often, some people respond like Herod do. They respond in fear. They respond and see Jesus as a threat. And those are the people that say, I don't want to follow Jesus because look at, look at him. He makes me do things I don't want to do. He doesn't let me live a free life. You hear the restrictions in the scriptures are too much. And so in many ways, that's like responding like Herod. I don't want to give my life to Jesus because I'm afraid of how he wants me to live. And there are many who respond to Jesus in that kind of way. For others, they respond like these religious experts respond. They respond with apathy. They respond in complacency. Oh, Jesus has come. And then they hear it, but then they just sit on it. They don't do the, the necessary work and sometimes costly work that we see the Magi doing and seeking out the truth. The Magi go to great lengths to seek out the truth. But then the religious experts here in this story, and many people today, just kind of sit on that information and do nothing with it. And the surprising nature of what Matthew is sharing with us here is the ones who are the example to us. Like Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and that would have been shocking to hear that the, the, the one who we need to pattern our lives after is the Samaritan, is the hated person from the outside, and here Matthew is telling us the one that we follow as an example are the outsiders, are the ones that were hated. The magi, 
are our example in this passage. And the Magi are the ones who go to great lengths to discovering the truth. They find out through the means in which is a part of their everyday life, the stars. They find out through the stars that the king of the Jews has been born and they go to great lengths to seek out the truth. It's a costly journey they have to make. It's not a safe journey that they have to make at all, but they make it in pursuit of the truth. And this is what we're invited to in the Christmas narratives here by Matthew, to seek out the truth, to follow the Magi. The scriptures say, all who seek me will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so we're invited with the Magi to seek out the truth. And maybe there are some of you here this morning, you've never really sought out Jesus. And the invitation here is to pursue him, to pursue him as king, to pursue him and to discover what the truth is. And what you're going to discover is that hunch that you had as to what is the meaning of life. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He's the one who's going to fill that. The one that you're looking for to find life, the one you're looking for to find joy, to find peace, is Jesus Christ. And so we're invited to pursue him, to seek him out. It's going to be costly, but it's worth it. And so that's the nature of this story. One of those great Christmas surprises that we see. We see with the Magi this invitation to pursue Jesus And then to fall down and worship him. Because when we realize who he is, when our eyes are opened with the truth of who he is, that this is God in the flesh, come to us to save us. Come to us to die on the cross for our sin, that we can be made right with him, that we can be reconciled with him, that 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 gap that's been created because of our sin and the holiness of God can be paid for in full by Jesus. It was paid for in full by Jesus. And the response of the Magi is to follow by faith alone. And this is what we are invited to, to see in Jesus the fulfillment of all our hopes all of our joy and to come to him in worship as our king. What Herod could see is something I pray that all of us will see. And that's this. Why was Herod afraid? Herod was afraid because he understood an important truth. And that is we cannot share the throne. Jesus cannot be king and we be king at the same time. Either he is king or we are king. And so let's bow down. This is the invitation for us to bow down and worship him as our king. To call him our king is to say, you call the shots. I live for you. I want to worship you. I want to give my life for your glory. So this is the invitation in the Christmas story. Beautiful Christmas surprises that point us to Jesus, our king. Let me pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. They're going to lead us in a song to close. Father, we thank you for the example of the Magi and even the challenges within this passage that 
challenge us on our prejudice, maybe. That maybe there are those in our lives that we know who we think, well, they're way too far away to ever come to Jesus. Father, thank you for this passage that challenges us on that truth. That all are invited to come. That no one is too far gone. That Jesus came for all. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here this morning that does not have a relationship with you through Jesus, I pray that today would be the day you open their eyes to the truth of who you are, of who Jesus is and what he came for. That as we gaze on the manger, we also gaze at the shadow of the cross that's over that manger, knowing that the reason he came was to pay the penalty for our sin on the cross, that we can be reconciled to you. So, Father, I pray today that everyone in this room, that those who are joining us online, that we would say today that you are our king and we want to worship you all, praise and honor and glory. We want to go to you in all of our life. And may we marvel afresh at the beautiful truths that we see through Matthew in this Christmas narrative. And may we be invited to bring everything we have and lay it at his feet. Surrender our lives to you by faith alone. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you that he did for us what we could not do ourselves. We thank you that he is a king unlike any other king. And today we want to worship him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been encouraged by our time today in God's word, we'd love for you to connect with us on social media and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at SCBC London. Until next time, I'm your host, Ryan, and this has been Stony Creek Radio. God bless. Thank you.